Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. We've covered so many subjects, but we have yet to talk about dreams. Our guest today is Kelly Walden Sullivan. She is a certified clinical hypnotherapist and the author of the number one Amazon best-selling dream book called I Had the Strangest Dream, the Dreamer's Dictionary for the 21st Century. She also wrote Discover Your Inner Goddess Queen, an inspirational journey from drama queen to goddess queen, and The Zone Golf. She's the host of the D-Spot weekly web radio show on the Awakening Zone. She's also a featured guest on Fox, NBC, CBS, and ABC News and magazines such as Seventeen, Bride, and Cosmopolitan. And she also has a weekly dream blog on AOL's MyDaily.com. She's the creator of something called The Dream Project, which is a nonprofit organization that bridges inspired young people to solve the issues facing the United Nations and the Millennium Development Goals. It is my great pleasure to welcome her to the show today to talk about the book, I Had the Strangest Dream, The Dreamer's Dictionary for the 21st Century. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be with you. I, I love your show, and I love the it's rainmaking time. It's rainmaking time, and I'm having a dream that we're laughing about that in the future, sitting with kids all over the world, and they're laughing as they're saying it. Oh, I love it, and it happens. I'm in Southern California, and it's raining today. It never rains in California except today. I think it's your fault. <laughs> I think it's I think it's because it's rainmaking time. It's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. It. You know, when I read I Had the Strangest Dream, I was thinking about different things that come up in dreams, a lot of the adjectives and nouns and the kind of images that people get when they dream. And I wanted to ask you, what made you put together a dictionary? And on what basis did you make these categories? And how do you know you're right? Oh, wow. Okay, that's a multi Exactly, and you can answer it. However, now I want to preface those three questions by saying that your interest in Carl Jung obviously inspired you to get into dreams and to probably follow your path as a hypnotherapist. But I want to know about these categories because I've never seen it quite like this before. Oh, wow. Cool. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll answer the first Part, one, of, one of the first parts of the question about why what inspired me to write it. Um, I, as a hypnotherapist, I was in the practice of when you when you work with people on a subconscious level, it seems like you you know after the one or two or three sessions, people start having really vivid dreams. So it would seem it seemed like it was just a pattern that people would come in to see me, and sometimes they would initially talk about what it was that they wanted a breakthrough in, but it seemed like they would either talk about a dream first or the dream would come up somewhere in the session where they would just kind of start talking about a dream that related to what was going on with them. And I felt like, I don't know if you've ever seen the detective, there's all kinds of detective kind of stories out there. There's a television show that my mother particularly likes called Monk. And um, in the show, the guy, like he'll hear a certain word that will all of a sudden perk his attention and he'll know, ah, drill here. And I feel like I was kind of this detective that just had a sense when somebody would start to talk about dreams, it would be like the room would begin to buzz and all of a sudden it was like this super natural energy or access availability was was suddenly present and really palpable. And all of a sudden as they started talking, I felt like they, the dreamer, 
the client was leading me to, for lack of a better word, the this, this scene of the crime, back to where the, like, where the initial pain was or where the solution was because the dream, our dreams are always illuminating our path and showing us what the blocks are and also showing us what the next healing step would be. So I just, I just started really having this deep reverence for dreams. And I had always had a reverence for dreams since I was little, but professionally speaking, I got to see people's lives change before my eyes because of the work that we would do that was related to their dreams. It just seemed to speed things up. Um, it felt like traditional therapy that was just dealing with the logical mind would just take a lot longer, and this just felt like a shortcut. I call the dreams that you just referred to yeah. trying to go through the logical mind the slow boat to China. Mm. And you, ne- you may never get there. Exactly. But, or you could just kind of arrive there by the, through the power of thought and you're you're there and you know without any seasickness or anything but after people would come in with dreams often not you know there was all kinds of dreams that I would hear the happy ones the the, the seemingly just crazy wild ones the scary ones it seemed like the ones that were most troubling to people were the ones that they would tend to remember most vividly, and, and at being a therapist, you tend to get the stuff that is bothering people, not so much the stuff that is going great for people. So I got, I'm kind of in the business of alchemy. It's like, give me, give me the stuff that is broken and hurting you, and let's, let's shift it and rearrange it and realign it and have it become rocket fuel. So I got used to hearing people's dreams that were not, let's just call them not positive dreams. We could put them in the nightmare category. And I would, I had this particular way of seeing them that would empower people. And with a little bit of shifting, a little bit of reframing, a really what would seem like a very scary dream would turn into something really empowering. So I heard over and over and over again, you should write about this. You should do this because there isn't anything else out there on the market that, that these people, that they had that seemed to give the positive spin on things that I saw or the way of being able to kind of bring the le- the quality of alchemy to dreams. So I kept hearing that enough, 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 and I finally just started to write my own way of interpreting these symbols, and and it became, it kind of snowballed into something much bigger than I thought it was going to become, and now it's a bestseller on Amazon. So there you go. Sometimes when you follow the dream clues, you never know where it's going to take you. What do you say to people who come to you as a hypnotherapist, let's say to work on some things, that they are having difficulty accessing the subconscious and therefore they report to you, look, I don't seem to be dreaming. I can't remember anything when I wake up. What do you tell them? Well, first thing is, is that it's not a prerequisite that you have to have a vivid dream recall to be able to work with me. It seems like it's a byproduct of working with me that people tend to have greater dream recall after a couple of sessions with me, but you don't have to walk in with that going for you. Um, it, it's not the only way. I, I talk about how there's many, many ladders that lead us to the roof. This is one particular ladder that's a good one in my book, but it's not the only ladder. You can access the roof or the mountaintop in many different ways. This is just one. So I don't claim that this is the be-all, end-all. It just happens to be miraculously, consistently, incredibly helpful. So if somebody wants to improve their dream recall and they ask me how to do that, then I there's a few little techniques that you can do that are pretty simple 
that can up-level dream recall. And one of those things is um, the simple act of desiring it is, is like half the battle. If you don't put a value on dreams, then you're most likely not going to remember them unless they're particularly emotional or really, really vivid. But so by first of all, by wanting to, to remember them, that's half the battle. And by virtue of that, that means that you've placed a value on those dreams. You haven't just written it off because they don't make sense. You don't care about them. So that's part of it. The other half of it is backing it up by action. And that means simply putting a journal, a dream journal, by your nightstand with a pen so it's easy to get to or a recording device on your iPhone or on your Droid. There's a free app called, oh gosh, I'm blanking all of a sudden, Evernote. Oh, yeah, I have that. Yeah, Evernote's great if you aren't going to wake the person up that's sleeping next to you. That's that's important because you don't want to record your dreams at the expense of somebody else being able to pay attention to theirs. So you've got to tiptoe around and go and just record them. Within the first five minutes of waking up, you half your dreams have disappeared, and within 10 minutes or less, 95% of your ability to recall your dreams is gone. So you've got to write them down right away. And another thing is, is before you wake up in the morning, while you're still laying in bed and when you're becoming aware that you're starting to wake up, it's, it's a tendency for people who don't recall dreams to immediately start thinking about what they have to do that day. There's a lot of people in this 21st century that are living fast-paced lives that immediately start thinking of, okay, I've got to make these phone calls, got to check my emails, got to blah, blah, blah. The moment you start thinking about those things, it puts a compl- like it dissolves your dreams. Your dreams are as good as gone. So make sure that your first thought upon awakening Your your first question upon awakening is, what was I just dreaming about? And if you can, just spend a few minutes replaying that that those last few snippets of your dream, and and get as and recall as much as you can, replay it at least three times, and then roll over, write your dreams down. And if you can do that a couple nights in a row, then you start to build the muscle of dream recall, and it starts to become easier and easier. But it's really that simple. You know, I did an interview with Russell Targ last summer. He's a remote viewer, and he worked with Stanford Research Institute. And one of the things he said is, do not get out of bed if you want to recall your dreams. Like, don't physically start moving around. Because the minute you start getting out of bed, you're kicking in your analytical mind. Yep. Don't move your body a lot. Don't get out of bed, actually. Bring the pad to your bed. Bring the recorder to your bed or whatever you can do and speak. Yeah, that sleep position right. that you're in, it's almost like the, the, the shape of your body and the, the way that the pillow is contorted to your head, all of that, it's like a container for the dream. And the moment the container moves, then the dream kind of falls through the cracks. So you've got to be so gentle and really, really take your time in the morning to move slowly and record them immediately, either by writing them or recording them into into your Evernote or whatever your device of choice is. But yes, I absolutely agree with him. Your body position is really important. Try not to move a muscle until you've replayed the, the dream several times. And Kelly, you've heard of people where they say, I'm going to get up at such and such time, and they program their mind to get up, yeah. and then the body responds at that time? 
I'm wondering if also when we tell ourselves what time we need to be up without an alarm clock, if we also say, and I will remember my dream. Uh, very good. That's very true. I, my dream formula that I write down, the, some of the most questions, the most frequent questions that people ask me are, how do I remember dreams? And then once I remember the dreams, what do I do with them? So I have my little dream formula that answers both of those questions. Can I share that with Please, you? Please, of course. So DREAM is an acronym that stands for, I'll just tell you what the key words are and then I'll describe what it is, declaration, remembrance, embodiment, activation, mastermind. So declaration, (laughs) remembrance, embodiment, activation, and mastermind. So the D for declaration, instead of going to sleep, before you go to sleep, setting an intention to remember your dreams, I say set a declaration. There's something about the weight of the word declaration that sounds even stronger than intention, like the declaration of independence is is stronger than it would have been if it was the intention for independence. Just like, it's going to happen. Absolutely. You triggered the magnetic field, too. Right. So you set a dream declaration, I and you can and while you're at it, you might as well, you know, intend or de- declare what time you're going to wake up in the morning. But I will remember my dreams. I am paying attention. Please reveal a dream to me. And you can even get specific about what you'd like your dream to help you with. If you have a question about the relationship you're in, if you have a question about a project that you're working on, or uh, where you're living, or any a health issue, ask that your dream reveal insight about the specific thing. Um, And if you just want to leave it general, like I will remember my dreams and that's good enough. So that's the D. The R is for remembrance. And, and it also, and so within that, that's, so you go to sleep, you have your dreams. And before you wake up, the remembrance part happens where you don't move your body, you replay and remember the dream before you move a muscle, before you get out of bed. So you record the dream in your in your journal. And part of recalling your dream, we move into the the E in the dream formula, and that's embodiment. Often, not always, but often there's a feeling tone or an energetic vibration that's very specific to the dream. And it could be joyous, it could be just bizarre, it could be like, you know, just notice the flavor of the energetic aspect of the dream and see if you can embody that flavor, that that feeling tone, because that's one way of being able to transfer the dream from short-term memory to long-term memory. Within this section, people say, but what if it's a dream that I don't like the energy of? What if it's not a positive feeling? Why would I want to embody that? So here's my little sub sub thing that goes inside of that. If you, you have to do dream alchemy inside of that then. So if you if your dream was filled with fear, then there's there's a whole other formula that I go into about how to turn that around, the fear formula, and then I, we can get into that after the fact. But you can you work with the dream until you get the gift from it, and then you embody the gift of the energy of that dream. And then so now we move to the A in the dream formula, which is activation. And I believe that every dream that's remembered on some level requires action, even if that action is simply just the act of writing it down or sharing it with somebody. Once you've shared it with somebody or you've written it down, usually there's something that the dream is nudging you to do, either something to write about or 
something to say that day or something to look up. Like I had a dream a couple of days ago and the word Milarepa was, was on my radar and I had no idea what that was. And so I looked it up, I Googled it and there it was a ton of websites about this Buddhist saint that had this, you know, this amazing life and there's movies about him and there's all this stuff and it's like, I feel like I've just brought in this new guide because of my dream. So it requires action. Look it up or do something with it. And sometimes it it might be about warning somebody to, um, you know, not invest in the stock they were about to or, you know, who knows? There's so many different examples we could we could get into. The last one, though, is M for mastermind. And this is the ultimate thing. If you can remember your dreams and then you have somebody or one or more people to share your dreams with, not just your nighttime dreams, but your waking dreams as well, like those your aspirations, what you're up to, if you can share them with somebody, then it helps to create a container that gives you access to the deeper meaning of the dream and the deeper message of the dream and what kind of action to take. And, and when you've got somebody who's got ears to hear your dreams, then it just helps you to, to understand it with more fullness. And then when you return the favor, you act, then you become a sounding board for this other person. You kind of create this wonderful vortex. It's the I've got a workshop that's starting in Los Angeles on Thursday that'll be just like this. And this is something I do regularly to have people be supported in how to really take their dream work to a higher level. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, and I wanted to ask you, do you think that the dreamer is the subconscious, but also sometimes that the spirit or higher intelligence works through the subconscious to bring a message to people? In other words, is it a team effort that's going on, or do you think it's all individual subconscious stuff that's in a dream? Oh, I think it's everything. I think that we can we could say that what's happening in dreams from the most mundane level where it's just helping us to sort through data accumulated from the day, kind of like the function of a a file clerk, somebody who's putting files in order so that there's not so that you have more clarity upon awakening. Um, or like a washing machine that's helping to just remove the debris from the day so that you're, you've got a clean slate to move through your life with upon awakening. That's the most mundane level, and that we could say is primarily for the individual. And then there's, there's dreams that take on larger, larger properties and a larger, larger effect. There's dreams that are very healing. It, when you, when you talk about dreams, I mean, we could say, the dreaming mind is everything that includes dreams, but it also includes out-of-body experiences. It also includes being able to commune with masters and being able to go past, present, future, multi-multi-dimensional. So the moment we step into, we step out of the, three di- the third dimension into the multi-dimensionality of dreams, it's like we're in Alice in Wonderland. The regular rules don't apply. And whether you're, you may be having a dream that's specific for you, but there's people that have dreamt dreams for, for society, for, I mean, there's some dreams that I call collective dreams, and many people call them collective dreams that seem to be truly for, for the world. Can I share with you a dream that someone recently shared with me that I would put into the collective dream category? Sure. 
Um, it's it's a really long epic dream, so I'll do my best to just kind of condense it. This is a story that's going to be in my new book that that will be coming out soon. But basically, she dreamt that she was. Oh my God, it's so big. She basically dreamt that she was taken on board a craft, um, like a alien craft, yes. and was made like forced to make love to this kind of hybrid man alien superhuman super species. She becomes pregnant immediately. She escapes the craft, and she finds these these women that are part of this sisterhood of they're all wives, like kind of like a first wives club of the most powerful men in the world. So, like the 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 leader of the free world, the leader of the the Islamic world, the leader of like picture just the eight most influential men in the world, their wives, who are also influential. And she becomes part of this club, but she's the only odd one that isn't married and doesn't have a husband, but for some reason they include her. She ends up going to full term with her pregnancy and gives and has octuplets, and she dies in, in, um, while she's giving birth. Each of these eight women take one of her babies with her permission before she died. When she knew she was dying, she blessed them and said, please take my, my children. And they each raise these babies as if they are their own. So they grow up to become these alpha beings that are, that, that are schooled in the ways of either the Republican ways or the Democratic ways or, or the ways of Islam or the ways of you know, all the different, these different ways, and they end up becoming leaders themselves. And it fast forward to this, the point of the next world war. All of these eight beings are enemies, and they're about to kill each other. But she, the mother who's on the other side, comes to them in dreams within the dream, letting them know that they, if they actually kill each other, they'd be killing their own siblings. And they end up having this revelation. They end up meeting each other and realizing up close how much they resemble each other, how much more in common they have with each other than they did differences. And there's, like, at the final 11th hour, they put down their arms and they remember that they're family. And that's the dream. I'm sure you did a dream interpretation on this, right? Well, here's an interesting thing. (laughs) This woman... Is um, she's in charge of the she's she's a real uh, political person in her area and she's a Republican and has been so her entire life and has always thought that the ideologies within within her belief system were the right one and the correct one and every other one was wrong and when she had this dream she realized that all that in the dream her babies were of completely different mindsets based on where they how they grew up and she got to see how valid each perspective was based on the you know the 20 miles that they walked in their moccasins basically and so she woke up with her own she was she called me to have this dream session because she was so freaked out because she thought does this mean I'm not supposed to be Republican anymore? I don't know what to do. I've got this big rally <laughs> that we're doing and but now I'm seeing the validity of all these opposing points of view and I don't know what to do with it. And basically, you know, it was like 
wow. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't still be what you think you are, but why not be the more evolved, enlightened version of that and maintain your perspective of being able to see the validity of each person's perspective and not be so polarized and just be the most enlightened version of you that you could be. So, you know, and it's like, I think that's a collective dream because wouldn't it be an amazing story for people that are at war with each other, whether at war on a global scale or on an individual level with anybody where they are making somebody else wrong because they're, because of the polarity of their differences. But when you realize the, the holographic nature of it, you kind of put down your weapons and figure out how to live in a higher way. So very beautiful. Yeah. That's a good example. I like that example. It's full of meat. <laughs> Isn't it? It's full of the good stuff. Even the alien perspective. I was like, going to say what was funny about you talking about it afterward is that she was more concerned about whether she was still a Republican or not. Isn't that- Rather than I would have been like, oh, my God, I was on the ship. Oh, right. my God, no. I slept no, with no, someone no, I don't no. even know. I have like eight kids coming from this strange thing. Right. You know, but there's no worry about that. It was like, oh, my God, am I not a Republican anymore? Right. I've got That's this big funny. event to do, and now I'm not so sure that my way is the way. <laughs> you know, it, it caused her to, it's causing her to pause and to contemplate, you know, is this, maybe this is the right way for her, but is it the only way that's valid? Is any way the only way that's valid? So, you know, I tend to think that as long as you're not harming anyone, do no harm, then find the way that resonates most with you, but don't invalidate other people's ways along the line, along the way. You know, there's enough room for all of us to be here. Absolutely. Talk about your work in hypnotherapy. What led you to become a hypnotherapist? And is it with most of your clients that you're doing hypnosis work or is that on occasion now? It depends. I've got a whole bunch of tools in my toolkit, but um, I'll just say, you know, going back, when I, I've always been the Dear Abby type. I've always been the one, even when I was very young in elementary school, junior high school, that people would tell me their problems and tell me what was really going on with them behind closed doors. And I heard so many times, I've never told anybody this. Oh my God, I can't believe I told you that. I, I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I would be, a, I don't know what I'd be. I'd be a thousandaire. <laughs> Woo! So it felt like it was just like my, my thing was to, was to be a space for people to share their, their deepest emotions, their deepest point of view. And I, and, and, you know, I, I just love, I love being in a space of depth with people. I don't ever want to just talk about the weather unless it's raining and I happen to be talking to the rainmaker, then that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I want to talk about like what's going on on a cellular level. So there, I always thought I would be, well, I went on this whole tangent where I was an actress in my twenties, which was a great study in psychology on one level, but I knew I wanted to be a therapist of some kind, a healer, a some somebody in that realm and I thought I would be a traditional psychotherapist but it just all the classes that I was taking it felt like they they were keeping me in my head and not in the not in my body or not in a more intuitive place so when I came across hypnotherapy it felt like it was everything that I was wanting in therapy in terms of being able to have different techniques to be able to help move people from from pain and stuckness into liberation and 
and healing and realignment, but relatively quickly. You know, I, I'm, I'm of the microwave generation. When I was little, we got our first microwave. It was like, I want results now. I don't want right. to have to wait years and years for myself to get out of pain or for anybody that I love to be out of pain. If they can get out of pain now, then hallelujah. It's definitely the fast track. How long have you been doing the hypnotherapy? 17 years. Okay, so you're, I'm sure you're extremely good. But the clients that come in, how open are they to like letting go and letting you actually put them in a hypnotic trance? I'd say by the time somebody really, by the time somebody comes to see me, they want to have an experience. Every once in a while, I'd say probably every 50th person comes in with their arms crossed saying, I can't be hypnotized. And I, I rarely... I'm not, I'm, my way isn't the type that hits people over the head to try to convince them of anything. I, I like to lower resistance and, and give people an opportunity to have an experience that's actually quite natural. Hypnosis comes from the Greek word to sleep. And it's a particular kind of sleep. It's not the kind of sleep that happens when we go to bed at night, but it's a relative form of slumber or it's a place where our we're either in alpha or theta mode, which is a place where, our, which is a when our brain waves are operating at a slower pace. Our breathing is more mm, rhythmic, and we're we're just we're kind of in a maximum, a, a space of maximum possibilities, like rich, rich soil, um, where lots can be done, where you can remove blocks, and where you can actually reframe. Concepts and mostly when I work with people these days, because of my book being out there in such a big way, a lot of people come to me because of dreams, and then I kind of tie in hypnosis when I do dream work with them. There's a, an example on my website on Doctor D O C T O R dash Dream dot com of a of a hypnotherapy dream session that I do with someone who's got a disturbing dream. I have her reframe it. And in a real subtle way, it's mostly I just have her close her eyes and do some deep breathing, re-enter the dreamscape, and I give her some suggestions as she's moving through the dream of a way to to remember that she's the director of the dream and that she's more powerful than the symbols in the dream and that she can rearrange them in a way that leaves her feeling victorious. So it's real subtle. And there's actually some people get spooked by hypnosis because of the movies they've seen or the television shows they've seen or some stage shows that they've seen. But in real life, hypnosis is one of the most natural, effortless, pleasing things that leave people feeling like they've just had eight hours of wonderful sleep and they feel energized and realigned and like a fresh outlook on life. It's, it's really such a simple thing that can have such positive effects so quickly. Do you agree that it could be said that many of us in our day-to-day lives are in fact in a state of hypnosis and don't even know it a lot of the time? Oh, great question, Kim. Absolutely. Um, Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements, talks about how we're always dreaming. We're always in some form of dreaming, even when we really think we're the most awake. So we could say that we're always in some form of of hypnosis. For example, I, I like to look at it like this. We're little babies that are born into this world and we come from a realm of, we could say, just that, that non-physical realm of, 
of unconditional love and such pure perfection and connectedness. And then we come into this world from that place, and it's such a stark contrast with sharp edges and rules and and things. And we're in order to survive, we have we be, we are naturally in hypnosis as babies. We're sponges. We take in all the data, all the information, all the suggestions around us, and we become programmed to be domesticated, to take our wild energy that is our wild rain-making energy. There you go. <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and we kind of put ourselves in these little boxes to be pe- people-pleasing, to get the love, to get the attention so that we get fed and approved of and all that. And in the meantime, it's like we're these big jigsaw puzzles that little by little we get rid of all our pieces. And at some point we, we hit a, a crisis mode where we've only got a few pieces left and we have to go about the business of retracing our steps and getting those puzzle pieces back. So to me, when I work with people, I actually call it doing de-hypnosis because the reason that anybody has any challenges or problems or suffering is because they've been hypnotized to believe that they are less than perfect, that they are less than completely magnificent. And when I do my work with them, it's like I'm reconnecting them back to the beginning, back to the source of who they are, where they remember, and that remember means to put back together who they naturally are, like to wake up out of the trance of of feeling less than and, and remember that they are completely magnificent, heir to all the all the magic and juice and mojo of this universe and then some. And that's, to me, being de-hypnotized when you wake up to that, that awareness. That's the goal of, of my work. It's almost like a deprogramming. It's all about deprogramming because the natural being that we are knows that we're at one with source, which is whole, perfect, and complete. And when we get hypnotized, we believe we're less than. So it's all about just out with the old and getting reconnected with with that solid gold truth at the center of who we are. It's like that. Are you familiar with that story of the Golden Buddha? Talk about it. It's a story about when the when the Chinese were taking over Tibet, and there was one particular ashram, and I don't know the details of it, but it was there was this gigantic Golden Buddha that was absolutely stunning, like probably twenty feet tall, just incredible, and. So super valuable. Before the, the Chinese came in to take over, the the monks at this ashram covered the Golden Buddha with, with cement so that it wouldn't look like it was anything that valuable. And so the Chinese left it alone. And years went by, and somebody, I don't know who exactly, but they noticed there was this little glint of light coming out from beneath the concrete of this, this concrete statue of a Buddha. And excavators came and they removed the excess cement and they realized that there was this golden Buddha underneath that now that now lives and now people can see because, I don't know, I don't know exactly where this is. That's <laughs> but okay. I, I've seen it and in, in photographs. And it's kind of like who we are. We come in with all this radiance, but we have to cover ourselves up so that we won't be, so that we'll be acceptable. But at some point... 
we, we start to give ourselves away. Something really genius comes out of our mouth or we do something wonderful or we cause the rain to happen when there was no rain before. It's like, what? What was that piece of gold? And then we, we realize that we just we start to uncover that gold and then pretty soon we feel comfortable and acclimated to just be the golden beings that we, the golden Buddha beings that we truly are underneath ourselves, underneath all that cover-up. You're a good storyteller. You're very eloquent and easy to listen to. I mean, I'm getting hypnotized just doing this interview. Wake up, Kim. <laughs> I don't I think wake. I want to wake up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what would Carl Jung say about your work today, do you think? Wow. Now, that's a question I've never been asked. Before. That would be a good journal dialogue to have. Have you heard of the Ira Progoff method? No. What's that? Well, Ira Progoff was also a student of Carl Jung. And he came up with a journal method. Basically, you can have a conversation with Carl Jung yes, as if he's alive. And you write it down or your interview with Carl Jung or whatever. And actually, the energy of that person, absolutely, even though they're, quote, gone, yeah, the energy is still around. The consciousness of who he was is still around. And so you access it through having a dialogue with that being. Now, I was a tournament tennis player from 7 to 20. And so when I took the class, I had a dialogue with Killer Instinct mm. to activate and use Killer Instinct as a vehicle for competing and Ooh. to tap into that. So I had very primal training from Pancha Segura. Wow. Oh my God. I wish I could find what came out of that. That was the most otherworldly fascinating thing. But People can use that as well to tap different things, different thoughts, different beings, names of people, pieces of work. You can have a dialogue with works even. Mm. You can have a dialogue with a project. So it's all alchemical stuff. And by giving it a voice, you're tapping into this other energy that's there as well. Anyway, it's fascinating. Oh, well, what you're what you're saying is so true and I'm really glad that you brought this up and 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 it could go we could go into 5000 directions right now because it's just it's it's mind blowing and it's true um I always just to get grounded I think of one thing that Albert Einstein said about how he used the dreaming mind in order to answer questions that he had or solve problems or find solutions and he would just travel beyond the present moment and, and discover the solution for whatever he was working on. So the dreaming mind is really this part of us that is universally connected to everything, not just every being, but everything, like you just said. Everything that ever was, or, is, and will or be. Or <laughs> instinct or angelic presence or, or the, or an opal or a crystal or an anything. And that's why in a dream, I do dream theater. Dream theater is an aspect of the workshops that I do where if people have a dream about anything, we, we reenact the dream. We bring the doorknob to life. If somebody once played the role of the messy room or the, or the closet or the house that's for sale or the money or the flight or the bird or, or the people, you know, we for, yeah, of course you can play the role of the people. We don't leave them out of the equation. But you can connect with past, present, future, anyone, anything. It's literally unlimited. So what would Carl Jung say? 
I need to do, I need to just journal that. I think that would be an amazing thing. But I would, I think that he would, I think that he would nod his head in approval. I think he would like what I'm doing. I, I feel like it's, it's really related to his work. I definitely feel a kinship with him. I loved his way of his archetypal psychology, being able to see things as, in in archetypes and being able to connect with the energy of these these things and recognizing that every element in a dream is a part of ourselves. So there's so many things that are just so brilliant about him and I I feel like he would I kind of think of him like my grandpa like he would be proud of me like he would pat me on the head and and take delight in there's a whimsical nature to the dream work that I do that isn't so clinical and stuffy and serious. I mean, it's kind of playful and magical, and and I think he would like it, even though it's not exactly the way he did it. <laughs> sure. I'm sure he would say thank you. You know, when you were talking about people have come up with solutions in their dreams and been given guidance and direction, and there's all kinds of things that come into the dreams. Well, when you said that, it reminded me that Ray Kurzweil, who's a world-renowned inventor, before he goes to sleep, gives his subconscious before he sleeps the questions that he has about his inventions or solving problems regarding the different inventions he's working on so he gets his guidance in his dreams but he is deliberately passing the baton saying this is what i need help with and goes to bed knowing he's going to get it and he's doing what great inventors throughout throughout history have done thomas edison did that. And I mean, there's many, many others. So it's sure. just, of course, and he is, I know he's the, I just saw the movie. Did you see his, his recent movie? Transcendental Man. I saw parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Calling him the heir to Thomas Edison. Yeah. He's what a genius being. And he actually talks about in, this is kind of a, a tangent here, but the dreams that he has about his father, and this is, you know, I don't know, this is kind of a wacky tie in, but he his his dreams about his father have also propelled his research because he's so he had such a strong bond with his father and i think he's he's never really gotten over his father's death he hasn't come to terms with it which is one of the reasons why he's so passionate about figuring out how we can live forever and yes. we don't have to die which i think i don't know that i necessarily philosophically agree with him because i don't think that there's anything wrong with death i think it's part of life and I think ultimately there is no death because we what's true about us lives on um, but I think he as a scientist doesn't believe that there is something beyond death that when we're dead we're just dead that there isn't necessarily a spirit that can be proved from his perspective I know there is I've had a death experience so I know for a fact that I was more me when I wasn't in my body than I've ever been in my body and I didn't stop how long were you dead? 15 minutes. Just a 15-minute magical expedition. Did you drown? <laughs> How did you pass? How did I pass? Yeah, did you drown? No, no. Um, the long story short, I took a bite of a cookie that had hash in it. And I'm a lightweight. I hardly ever do anything that's a mind-altering substance. But on this particular night, I had a little bite and it does. It wasn't enough. Nobody, you know, I've talked to people that know about this kind of stuff, and there's no justification. Like there wasn't enough in that little bite to send to kill somebody. But I went out. 
I I was gone, and it was the most amazing thing ever. That's the only thing I can point to. I mean, there was a lot of emotion happening in my life that day. I was moving that day, uh, or we were moving the following day, but we I was in the middle of packing boxes and crying and grieving and mourning and being really dramatic, <laughs> <laughs> feeling so attached to the physical world and to stuff because we were moving into, you know, it's a long story, but I was like, my precious belongings and my things. Ah. And so I felt like my guides were saying, oh my God, we have got to, we've got to get a hold of this woman. She's gone off the deep end. So how did you know you died? How do I know? Well, I don't, there wasn't a way of being able to calibrate it, but there was paramedics they 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 saw that my blood pressure had completely dropped they st- they had they put me on oxygen i was on a gurney there's somebody took a picture of me and my face was pale my lips were blue i was out of my body for sure i was out i mean i was able to observe everything from where i was and i wasn't in that body i tried to get it to talk and it wouldn't talk eventually it it started to but it took a lot of will to get my lips to move and you know, it was it was amazing. Wow. <laughs> it was so beautiful. I thought, wow, I should have done this a long time ago. Where'd you go? <laughs> All I know is that there was, if I was going to, if I, I could tell you the detail by detail experience, but basically it was like being shot out of a, out of a slingshot. Like whew, I just, I just went flying and I knew it, as I was exiting the body, I was there was fear. I was afraid because I didn't know what was happening. And I just started chanting, God, 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 God. That was the only prayer I could, I could muster. And I felt like that kind of directed me into a realm. We could say it's all God, but this was a particularly light, beautiful. It was mostly there. I didn't see any specific... It wasn't like I saw a house and a garden, but it was more like just this field of colors that were so beautiful and so, it was like this realm of love that was beyond anything I had ever known before. It was so full-bodied and all around, like surround sound love. And there was, there was, there was kind of like these blasts of clarity of like a few words that I could, that I could hold on to that I could take with me. And one of them was, it's like there was just love. It was as if I was on a people mover, and there was just love and colors kind of coming through me. And I had this thought, wow, if I was back on Earth, I would try to stop the people mover, grab onto this stuff, write my name on it, hold on to it, and call it something. But because I'm here, and there's so much coming at me so fast, there's no time to stop and like stopping the stopping the wheel or the the assembly line like I couldn't stop it so there was nothing to hold on to and then I realized holding on to anything is suffering to the degree to which I can be in the release to the degree that I can be detached is the degree to which I can experience heaven on earth the degree to which I attach is the degree to which I suffer that's profound it was it was huge, and then I I've talked about this before, but I found a few days after I came back, I found this William Blake quote that really says it so articulately. He said, 
he who binds himself to joy does the winged life destroy. And he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Beautiful. <sighs> wow. I got chills on that one. I got chills too. <laughs> oh, double chills. Woo. Yeah. And so the goal is, you know, for me is to just notice when I get attached and notice when there's a bit of suffering and then drop it like it's hot and remember that there is, even in this realm, that is, that is a denser energy. There is a never-ending flow of love and beauty that is constantly streaming in, and we're the only ones that can press the stop button on that assembly line. But we can also press the start button again and get it flowing again. And then there's nothing. We never need to be hungry or lonely or, or for lack of anything ever because it doesn't stop. Only when we put up our blinders and our blocks to it, do do we have the experience of it stopping, but it, love, the universe, whatever it is, doesn't know how to stop. It just keeps flowing. We can either ride the wave or not. We have free will around that. (sighs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) All I can say is amen. As we come to the end of this hour, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the Dream Project, some of your work with kids. Sure, I'd love to. It feels like a completely different direction from what we were talking about, but it's related. Um, Even if you want to just share a little bit about it, I watched your video on some of what you're doing with the kids, and I just wanted you to share with the public a little bit thank about you. Yeah. Well, the the basic essence of it, and here this is how it tethers to the dream work that we've been talking about. I feel like when you when you open yourself to your subconscious mind, when you pay attention to your dreams, you start to get guidance that will reveal your true path to you, your reason for being alive, your your contribution to humanity. So I feel like in the most subtle ways, I've just been paying attention to dreams and wrote this book, and it kind of led me on this journey. I became a Long story short, I joined this organization called Women's National Book Association. I ended up becoming the president of the Los Angeles chapter, and I ended up at the United Nations because this organization is an NGO with the United Nations, a non-governmental organization. So as, as Kim, you heard in the interview, I said, I, you know, I've been in private practice forever and thinking if I'm going to make a difference in the world, I'll do it from the inside out one person at a time. But suddenly, out of nowhere, I'm at the United Nations, and I, I couldn't turn off my dreaming mind, and I started to get this download that caused me to literally shake the whole time I was there. It was almost as if I had palsy of some kind. I had to control myself to not just be like flopping around like a jellyfish at the UN <laughs> trying to look so cool. But while I was there, I was just getting a download of okay, why am I here? Somebody that deals on this esoteric level of dreams, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? At the conference, they were talking about the Millennium Development Goals, and that's the United Nations goals to by 2015 and then by, by 2020, ultimately, to eradicate poverty and hunger, to create gender equality, to make sure that all children can have at least elementary primary education to find cures for major diseases, to reduce the rate of women dying in childbirth, to reduce the rate of children dying before the age of five, 
defined cures for major diseases, environmental sustainability, and a global partnership for development. Those were the issues that were being discussed, and those are called, the nickname for those goals are, are the MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals. So I, the, the basic essence of the download I got is in order to expedite the process of meeting these goals and fulfilling the promise of these goals, they, there needs to be an infusion of dream consciousness, getting outside of the linear logical mind because the people at the UN are brilliant beings, but many of them are very cerebral, very, very left-brained. Exactly, thought, exactly. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, well, this is one thing that I, that I could bring but they're not necessarily going to listen to somebody who's a hypnotherapist when they really want facts, figures, and dates, and times, and percentages, and I'm like, ah, forget it. So I had this vision of taking the goals and bringing them to, to young people. And, and my mom and my dad, too, um, worked in the inner city of Los Angeles at a school. It's one of the biggest middle schools in East Los Angeles. And I had done some special programs at their school before based on some different things I was doing. So I knew I could just kind of show up in at least one classroom and say, hey, kids, here's the Millennium Development Goals. What do you think? But the night before I showed up, I thought, oh, my God, this is not good. You can't just show up and see a bunch of kids, especially kids that are living in the inner city that have a rough time as it is. You can't just throw out these goals. You've got to give it to them in a context that's going to empower them. So I created this time travel opportunity for them to actually go into the future and imagine the, the dream, the goals already fulfilled, and then they got to explore how they would solve the problems if they were in a position of power and cut to the present. We've been doing this for several years. We've been able to bring some of these students with us to the UN to meet presidents of other countries. We're working with the president and first lady of Honduras. We've got other countries that are we're meeting with ambassadors all the time about how to bring the Dream Project into their countries. People they're they're freaking out because it's really br- making activists out of out of students, especially students that are quote unquote underprivileged, and turning them into into problem solvers and dream makers and rain makers. Exactly. There <laughs> you go. For the UN. So the website is dreamprojectun.org, dreamprojectun.org, if you want more information about that. That sounds so exciting. You know, it is so much about timing, too. Mm. And sometimes it's timing and approach because yes. maybe it took going in with something that was non-threatening as a methodology (laughs) to activate the imagination, first of the people at the UN who could make the decision to bring you in. Well, it's really through the back door. Yeah, exactly. Because we were sitting around in Honduras talking to the high-level cabinet, all the, the people that run the country, basically, talking to them about the work that we could do with kids. Because we were talking about the kids, it's like they could, it wasn't like I was talking to them directly. I was talking to them about the kids that they care about in their country. And I could see all of their eyes watering. I could see their, their hearts opening because we're talking about kids, but they're actually going through the process themselves. So I was invited to speak at the UN about this, and I got so many 
so many enthusiastic um, approaches by people that were saying, thank you, I know this is for kids, but I feel like I'm really being moved and uplifted, and, and I need this too, but most adults aren't going to you know, admit it. They'd rather do it on behalf of the kids, and then they benefit as a byproduct. It sounds beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kim. Yeah, my pleasure. And it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And I love the work that you're doing. And I love the way that you're doing it, the way that you're going about it. The other thing that's obvious is that you have a lot of humility and you've done a lot of work on yourself. And it shows. I mean, it really does. You're kind of a clear vessel. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. From the rainmaking alchemy desk, I have to tell you, it's impressive. I love that. I love it. And I love what you're doing. And it's such a powerful, talk about the power of words, rainmaker. Oh, my God. When I see children anywhere I am, I always tell them, my name is Kahuna. And I tell them, it's rainmaking time. And they laugh and they smile. It's kind of what I do when I walk around. Parents, of course, roll their eyes like, what just happened? But I don't care. It's great fun. If you go on the site, it's rainmaking time. You'll see me introduce it's rainmaking time, the declaration to Holly, who's two years old in the video about the spirit of it's rainmaking time. My vision was to introduce it's rainmaking time to children across the world. And so I have a tremendously deep affinity for what you're about and what you're doing and what you're really activating because I know what it is. I know you It's do. the good stuff. It's the magic of the heart. It's great stuff. Thank you so much for being our guest. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to contact Kelly Sullivan, you can contact her by going to kellysullivanwalden.com. And you can also pick up her book, I Had the Strangest Dream, The Dreamer's Dictionary for the 21st Century. And Kelly, thanks so much for being here. Please feel free to come back anytime. Oh, I would so love to, Kim. Are you going to say my three favorite words? It's rainmaking time. It's rainmaking time. Thank you, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you, Kim. Bye-bye. Have an amazing day. Sweet dreams. You too.